Well, hey, good morning. Isn't it good to be in church today? Let's go. Man, what a great day. You know, just to be a part of everything that God's doing down Elevate City, it's been so special. And to celebrate two years, I can't really believe we did that in 2020. And uh, there's so many things I love about Elevate City and what God's doing through that campus down there. But, man, the thing I love about most is their staff team. Come on, somebody. Like, love all these guys. You guys are so, man, it's just a joy of my life. It's an honor to be able to be a part of what God's doing through them and to see what God's doing in their lives has been so fun. And then this weekend, Awake Now, come on. What in the world? world. I mean, there's not a lot, I mean, there's not a lot of student ministries in the world that are doing what these guys did over this last weekend, just being able to be bold with their faith, share the gospel, pray for people, and just try to do something beyond the walls of the church. And I really believe that the stories that God's going to tell through their lives, man, they're, they're just getting started. I mean, aren't you gl- glad to be a part of a church that's building into the future? And so, man, all the effort, yeah, I mean, all the effort and energy has been so good. And then also some of our college kids back this week, you guys are awesome, man. Thank Thanks for being here. I know that when I went to college, I never went back to my church. So we love y'all. Thanks for coming back. And uh, hopefully I'll get to talk to you guys a little bit later. I hope it's going well. All A's, everybody going good. Your teams are winning in football. Let's go. Yeah, no, sorry. My bad. You must go to Auburn. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I just need to, hey, truth hurts sometimes. Let's go. Hey, so we're launching this series today called So Love. Let's all say that together. So Love. And the reality is love is what makes the world go around, isn't it? I mean, it is everywhere. Everything that we do, somehow love comes up. I mean, some of our favorite songs are love songs. You know, the power of love, every little thing called love, all that kind of, which dates us because those are all 40 years old. But, um, and think about movies and some of the things that we watch, just the, the, the trajectory of love in them. Usually, like I went to see a war movie called Pearl Harbor, and it was actually a love story, and a war broke out in the love story. I went to see a movie about a ship, and it was a romance called the Titanic, you know? I mean, it's just everywhere for us. You know, the greatest way to communicate, one of the big ways that we communicate love is through little love letters. Did you guys ever write any of those? Um, You may see some of these around in the building today, maybe on your seat or out at the coffee table. We've had some people in our church just write notes just to encourage you and to build you up. So if you would, find one of these around the building and you're going to see there's just an opportunity for us to kind of lean into this series called So Love and to encourage you. You know, the, the reality is, though, we, we tend to take love for granted. Have you noticed this? We, we tend to take it for granted. You know, if, if you look at, at, at the uh, image of marriage, this is where it happens the most. So if you start out when you're dating, like when you start dating, you know, man, you, you got your game on, right? Like you're showing up every single time. You know, if you're a guy, you can actually call the girl to ask her out for a date rather than text her to see if she'll go out with you. And so, hey, ladies, just so you know, if, if, if a guy texts you to ask you out, it's don't even answer. Don't even respond. It's not even no. It's no response because he needs to value you more than that. Guys, you need to be sure you pick up the phone. Come on. Pick up the phone and you call her, ask her out to go on a date. And when you show up, you don't just toot the horn or text her, hey, I'm out in the front. You go up and you knock on the door. And, of course, she shows up. She is put together, Right. I mean, she's got new clothes on, she's fixed her face, she's got her hair done. Man, she brings her best, shows up on time. I can remember when I was in high school, that's when Debbie and I started dating. That's another story. But um, we started dating in high school, and when I would take her out, well, first of all, my mom would have to drive us out at first because I didn't have my driver's license yet. But whenever I would take her out, we would always go to this, maybe this restaurant you've heard of, Burger King. That's where we'd go to eat. And she, yeah, come on. She would never eat because she didn't, want me, she didn't want me to have to pay for her meal. And I'm thinking to myself, where was that on Friday in downtown Alpharetta, Debbie, like when we went out for lunch? 
you know? And just we act differently when we're dating. Then the honeymoon shows up. And ladies, you know, you're putting on your makeup right before you go to bed. And guys, you're putting on deodorant right before you go to bed. And then something shifts. We just begin to take it for granted in the midst of that. We've, we stop paying attention to details. And ladies, you show up to bed with that mask on, you know, this Halloween scary. And guys, you show up in the, in the clothes you mowed the grass in that day. You don't care. Man, we just start taking things for granted and we lose the mystery and the wonder of love. And the truth is, this happens when it comes to our view of God. Right? It, this happens when it comes to our view of God. We forget that God has written us a love letter. It's called the Bible. Right? That God has poured out commands and warnings and encouragement and wisdom and story just to prove to us and to show us his great love for us. That God's character is love. The number one thing he wants to be about is love. The number one thing we'll celebrate in eternity is God's love for us. And we got to be careful that we don't take it for granted. We've got to be careful. Now, the way that we do that is to look at the details of God's love. And so today, we're going to look at something that's very familiar. We're going to look at some, a, a verse in Scripture that is very familiar. And we don't want it to become so familiar that it loses its power. It's called the cliff notes of the Bible at times. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Maybe you've heard of this verse. Most people have, if we're being honest. I was leading my equip group Wednesday night, and one of the guys in there said the first verse he memorized was John 3, 16. There's a reason for that. It's so pivotal and so foundational to everything. Listen, let me tell you this. There is no limit to what a loved person can do. There is no limit to what a loved person can do. You will walk with more confidence when you understand God's love for you. Man, you'll wake up every single day with more hope for the future, more belief in what's going to happen that day if, we, if you begin to settle in and remember God's love for you. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 3. We're going to be in John chapter 3. Just to look at this particular verse in the Bible, I'm going, to, I'm going to lead up to it. And the way that I'm going to simplify it today is I'm just going to pull out four words. I'm going to pull out four words out of these verses that we can just focus in on, look at the details of these verses to remind ourselves and to tell us how much God loves us and what it means for our life. You know, I'm going to start out in verse 1 to kind of give us a little context. In John chapter 3, verse 1, he writes this. He says, there was a man of the Pharisees, and his name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. Now, Nicodemus was a lot like me and you. He, he, as being a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, he was in a profession that people were proud of. He, his parents would have loved his job. He was important. He wants to be successful. He wants to be accepted. And so we see this is his job. He said, so he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus comes to, to, to Jesus at night, and he looks like he's got it all together, but he's got some unanswered questions in his heart, doesn't he? He's looking for more than what he's currently living in, and that probably describes a lot of us today. Jesus goes on to unpack it. In verse 3, he says this, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
So Jesus turns the conversation, and he knows what Nicodemus is looking for, that Nicodemus is looking for more to life. And Jesus says it has to happen, has to be born from above. It has to happen when God breathes life into us. Hey, listen, God's always in the business of new life. God's always in the business of a fresh start. God is always in the business of a second chance. You know why? His great love for us. Hey, where do you need, a, where do you need new life today? Where do you need new life today? What in your life feels tired and old? What in your life feels disappointing and dead? Like, where do you need new life today? And from that context, this conversation with a successful religious leader of his community, Jesus gives us these verses in John chapter 3, 16 and 17. Since God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world. Since he, but in order that the world might be saved, have new life through him. Man, John understood something about love. Man, John's life had been radically changed by the love of God. Before, before he wrote these words, man, John went through a transformation. Now, in this particular book of the Bible, and, and when John wrote this, he uses the word love 57 times. And something about John's life understood love. Love is to be the first word that we would look at of the four that we're going to look at today. Man, he wrote another part of the Bible. And in that part of the Bible, it's called 1 John. Pretty creative title, if you notice. 1 John. He uses the word 46 times. So something has happened in John that he wants to communicate because he knows it can happen to us. Amen. John is communicating something. Let me give you a little bit of a history of John before this transformation happened. And he had one nickname. And then after this transformation happened and he had another nickname. You know, before this transformation happened, John's nickname was Son of Thunder. Like, guys, don't you like that a little bit? Like the Punisher. I mean, Stone Cold Stephen Gibbs. Like, don't you love that nickname? Now, here's how he got this nickname. John was the youngest of the disciples of the 12 apostles. He was the youngest. And so he probably was trying to prove himself a little bit every now and then. So he would step up. There was this one time when Jesus and his followers went into a particular city and they, didn't, they rejected him. And they rejected Jesus. They rejected his followers. They didn't want any part of him. So John goes back to Jesus. He said, hey, Jesus, these guys, these guys that are against us, man, you want me to call down fire on them for rejecting us? I don't know, Jesus had to be like, John, what in the world? We're not the mafia, dude. Like, come on, we're Christians, you know? And so John just was aggressive and rugged and wanted to hurt people who didn't agree with him. Sounds a little bit like people today, amen? He, just, he was always about competition. Here's another thing that happened. He, there was this time when him and his brother James were walking with Jesus, and they pulled Jesus aside like, hey, Jesus, you know, when you come into your kingdom, you're going to sit on your throne. You're going to ride in on the white horse. You're going to all this power. You're going to be really important. Everything's going to point to you. Hey, you need to let me and my brother be your number one and number two. Like, we need to be right next to you because we're the best. Of all these other guys you got following you, we are the best. John was just consumed with his own agenda. But something happened. Something happened. And he was radically transformed. He went from being the son of thunder to his nickname being the one that Jesus loves. The one that Jesus loves. Man, as we look at his life, that love, it gave him the power to be able to endure the martyrdom of, his, all, his follow, uh, of all the other disciples. Because he was the last one that died. So he watched all his friends die. 
and he was exiled to the island of Patmos, living in solitary confinement. John was boiled in oil and survived. Why? Because he understood God's great love for him. And then at the end of his life, he lived to be almost 100 years old. At the end of his life, he was having trouble walking. And they would carry him to visit churches. And they would put him in front of the church and he would sit down in the seat and he would tell them about God's great love for us. This is the power of God's love in our life. Listen, God's posture towards you, God's posture towards me, God's posture is love. That's how he sees us. So many times we think that God sees us with maybe his arms folded. This is his posture. You've seen people do that. What does that mean? Not listening to you. I am closed to your word. See, some of you are like this right now. You should watch yourself. Um, what about this one? You coming after you, right? As if God wants to punish us. Or what about this one? The driver's post? I don't know. I don't know what you're doing, you idiot, right? This is the driver's pose. And we think that's what God has for us. Man, God's posture towards us is arms wide open. The image that we have on the cross. That God loves us deeply. And we, we have this belief at times that we're unlovable. We've done some things in the past. We have some regrets that we can't seem to shake. We have some shame that feels like it physically marks our skin. Man, we have some mistakes that we've made. We've had some things that we didn't do. Man, we have some lies that we told. We have some places that we've gone. We have some addictions that we've endured. Man, and we just have this feeling that man, we are beyond the love of God and that God is always looking at us as if we are deficient, defective, or not loved. That's a lonely place to live. You know, when my kids were uh, Entering the teenage years, we thought we probably should, my, Debbie and I thought we should probably get a little coaching, a little, a little counseling around how to, how to raise kids as they enter the teenage years. And so I'll never forget this story, and maybe it would be good for some parents out there today. But as we talked with um, the counselor, she relayed this story from one of my children that my kids felt like as they were coming through that age that we were always looking at them for the things that they were doing wrong. We were always calling out things to correct, that we were always trying to fix something where they messed up to the point where it felt like we may have been looking for them and waiting for them to mess up so we could correct it. And, and they said this, it says, it was if they look at me through the evil eye of the things I'm doing wrong. And man, that is a, that's a rough place to live. Man, it's full of anxiety and stress and instability. Man, it causes you to go through life wondering what shoe's going to drop next. And God doesn't look at us that way. And God's posture towards us is not with the evil eye. It's not to condemn us, he says. It's not to judge us. But God's posture towards us is love. And listen, we don't know how to actually be loved very well. Man, we're in a make it kind of culture. You were taught, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The American dream. If you want it, you got to achieve it. you got to make it happen. We say that around here probably way too much you got to make it happen. Let me, let me just pull, pull this test on you. It'll help you understand this a little bit. If someone says, I love you, like, what's your response? Just think about it for a second. Like, when someone says, I love you, how do you respond? Now, more, more, than, more likely than not, your response is, I love you back, right? We respond back. I love you. We say, I love you because we feel like we have to do something. We feel like we have to reciprocate rather than just be 
love. So the next time someone says, I love you, what you should say is, you should. Because I am lovable. <laughs> Try it right now. You can go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we should learn what it means. Now, we should want to reciprocate. Don't get me wrong. But there needs to be this settling in of God's love so deep in our soul, it changes how we even respond to someone saying, I love you. Hey, do you know how to be loved? Like, do you know how? Or do you have to earn and achieve and move? Or do you understand how much God loves you? There's nothing you can do to be loved. There's no job you can take. There's no bank account you can build. There's no car you can buy. There's no child you can raise. There's no retirement you can save for. God loves you already. Like, do you know how to be loved? Love, number one word. Second word we want to unpack is gives. Man, love gives. Love gives. Wasn't it awesome for November to get a car on stage? Like, why is that? Because love gives. The only thing wrong with that was that I didn't give my car to her. Like, that's what I feel bad about, don't you? Like, how can I give away a car? You should think that, right? Um, it says in John three sixteen, he says, God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. He gave. Man, love gives. It's a natural outgrowth of someone who is loved, who loves, is to give. And this is who God is. Man, God is a giver. Love gives. Now, he uses the word so loved in this context just to stress the intensity of the love. And so it'd be a little bit like this. Have you ever been so happy that you could cry? Just that level of intensity? Have you ever been so mad you want to choke somebody? Like in traffic? Like, have you ever been so moved that you couldn't speak? This is a level of intensity of love that God feels for us. And he says, he so loved the world. Man, love is just a commitment to somebody's good. It is an action word with intensity. And it says he loved us so much that he gave what? He gave his son. Now, let's unpack a little bit about how high that price is. You know, it's a kind of a euphemism that we'll use to talk about the highest thing we could do be give our firstborn, right? It says, you want my firstborn, or most parents, but you, you want my firstborn for that? Like, I'll pay anything for that. We know that it is a powerful force. Jesus, even in the book of Matthew, talks about how much, how valuable the kingdom is. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. He gives everything up to buy that field. And in this instance, you are the field. He gave his son. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. You are the pearl of great value to God. And so in, in Jesus' day, this idea of the firstborn son, son is in, who gets the inheritance, Son is the one who, one who gets all of the money. The son is the one who inherits the business. The son is the one who becomes CEO. The son is the one who is the successor. He is the primary value for a dad. A son in that culture is the primary value for a dad. And what's ironic is that in this, he gives his son, he gives the life of his son so that we could have the life of his son. He gives the life of his son so that we can have the life of his son. Listen, we can't underestimate, we can't become too familiar with Jesus' death for us. 
that the sin of the world was so incredibly powerful, so incredibly devastating, it completely wrecked everything that was going on when God created it. And so God knew the only way to solve this was for us to be born again. How can we be born again? By him giving the life of his only son. Like this is the love that God showed for us. Man, and we have to continue to build into that. We have to continue to remember that. Otherwise, it just will go, grow stale and we'll lose its power and we'll lose everything that God's love wants to generate in our lives. He gave the life of his son. Why his son? Because he was the perfect sacrifice. Why his son? Because he shed his blood for us. Why his son? It was the greatest act of love that God could show us, that he gave us his son. Man, love gives life. Love gives life in two different ways. He gave the life of his son so that he could give the life of his son to us. So we get to receive this life that God's talking about. Let me ask you this. Like, like, like don't you love it when somebody encourages you, kind of gives you a little bit of life? Ladies, someone, you come out of the house, you're going, you're going to coffee with your girlfriends. Girl, that's, that outfit looks good on you. Is it new? Well, yes, it is. Paid $15 for it at Northfoot Community Charities. Because you always brag about how little you pay for something. You notice that? Like, it's never like, I paid $2,500 for it. Right? And you just feel good. Hold your shoulders back. Hold your head up higher. Why? Because they affirmed you. And then they gave you some love. Guys, what about this? You meet up with someone you hadn't seen in a while. Man, dude, you look so good. Have you been working out? You're like, I've been thinking about working out. Yeah, I've been thinking about it. Man, but what? It builds something into us. It gives us what? It gives us life. It gives us life. Now, now the words that John uses here are the words eternal life. Now, this is eternal life, this activating principle. It's a constant and abiding life that never goes away. So many times we think of eternal life as just being what happens forever and ever and ever. We think of quantity of time. Like, how long are we going to be singing is what I need to know, Stephen. Like, what is the, how long is this going to go on? And certainly it's eternity, but it's also quality of life. There's a certain quality of life that God gives us when we are grounded in his love. And when we pay attention to the details of that. Just a few descriptive words to kind of describe what this love looks like. Man, one thing is this love looks like calm. Looks like calm. You ever met anybody and their hair is just on fire all the time? Man, they just feel like they're going and running and freaking out. You know, the Bible says this, there's no fear in love. And then it says in Psalm chapter 112, it says, he's not afraid of what? Bad news. You ever grab your phone, it rings, you're like, ooh, this is not going to be good. Or I wonder what happened. What do they want now? Because we have that little bit of fear of bad news. Hey, college kids, I'm just telling you, when you call home, your parents are like, what has happened or do they need money? That's all they're wondering. But they're wondering, man, because we have this propensity to think the worst can happen. Nobody thinks, oh, I wonder if they won the lottery. <laughs> we think, oh, I wonder if they've been in an accident. And we have this propensity to, to expect bad news. When we're grounded in God's love, and we just live with this calm. And we know that God's good. We know that God's going to take care of no matter what happens on the other end of that phone. We're just calm. And the next word is clarity. And someone who lives with this type of love grounded deep in their life, they just tend to walk with a level of clarity of purpose in life. 
Man, we live in a culture of so many confusing messages. Man, we live in a culture that believes you can just define truth yourself. There is no absolute. There is no standard. And it feels so confusing. But, but what we see, people who, fought, who live in God's love, man, they just have clarity about their life. In the book of Philippians, Paul is a guy who wrote this. And Paul was very clear on, on his life. And he said this. He says, but one thing I do. Like, wouldn't that be good to say every morning? One thing I do. How many things do you do every day? 12 million? I mean, one thing, he says. Forget what lies behind. I don't care about the mistakes I've made. I don't care about the sins I've committed. I don't care about the wrongs that I've done. I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Man, there's just some clarity that comes when you live in God's love. Man, it clarifies your priorities. You know what your life's about. It clarifies how you make decisions. It clarifies how you spend your money and how you give your money. It clarifies how you spend your time and give your time. It clarifies what job you take, what relationship you enter into. It clarifies how you parent and how you relate in your marriage. I mean, it clarifies everything. It's the great principle of life, man. When we really understand deeply the love of God for us, man, it's a great clarifier. I mean, another thing that people who have this love, this eternal life generated in their life, joy, like, don't you love to be around people who have joy? You know, there are some people you avoid, aren't there? And why? It's because they don't have what? Joy, right? They don't have joy. You see them in the grocery store, you're like, oh, I'm going the other way. Like, I, don't have to, I ain't got time for that. I got bronchitis, right? I ain't got time for that. <laughs> A little meme maybe you forgot about. So, so we have this joy. And people, when you have joy, they want to be around you. I mean, you're appealing and attractive because that's not what we get. How many times do you turn on the TV and you grab a political commercial and someone full of joy? Never, right? This is the life that we're living. This is the culture that's invaded us. This is what we have at our doorstep, man. And we need the love of God generating eternal life so that we can experience and express joy to the world. Man, don't you want to be a person of joy? Listen, does your life reflect constant and abiding life? A sense of calm when things may be difficult? A sense of clarity in the midst of confusion? And a sense of joy in all the conflict that we're facing? Third word right there. It was gives what? Life. And then finally, the last word, believe. Believe. Now, John uses this word 98 times. It is really important. To John, maybe the most important word to him. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 20, later on, when he, he writes the purpose of the book, he says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the power of love. Believing is our, is our part when it comes to how we respond to the love of God. Now, there's some things that we believe they are just kind of intellectual beliefs. You know, we may believe that certain foods are bad for us, but we don't care because we eat them. Or we believe we should exercise more and we don't. But, but this type of belief goes beyond that. It has a sense of conviction. It has a sense of attaching your life to it. Now, when you think about your life, we attach our life to so many different things that have no ability to bring eternal life that we're all looking for. Man, we have this, this ability to, to get caught up in the here and now and what's comfortable and what's quick. And we sacrifice 
what we want most for what we want now. And what believing does is it attaches our life to the life of God. Man, if we believe something, we have this sense of conviction that goes around with that. In Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, um, he says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and he is saved. And when you really believe that God loves you, you live differently. And when you really believe that God loves you, you live for eternity and not for now. When you really believe that God loves you, you have a hope for the future that that may seem mysterious to some, but it is so confident for you. We just live differently. And do you live with the conviction that God loves you? Would your friends know that you think that God loves you? And would people that you work with know by the conviction of your life that you do the things that God wants you to do? That you're calm and confident in times of turmoil. Do you believe that joy comes in the morning even though weeping may last for a night? Man, do you live with this conviction that you believe that God loves you? Man, people who know that kind of love, they do live. They live different lives. Man, they live lives of gratitude. They realize that everything they have comes from God. That everything that they love comes from God. Every meal, every sunset, every relationship, everything they love comes from God. And they're just constantly grateful. And what that does in their life is it opens up their heart for more and more love to get in so they can live more and more and more full lives. And people who are ungrateful, what it does is it closes their heart and makes it shrivel and small so that they miss out on the eternal life that God has for them. And people people that live in this kind of love... They live with the voices in their heads, silence to the voice of God. They, they hear only the voice of God. They don't hear the voice of their own mind and their own past and their own regrets and their own shame and their own sin. And they can live with the voice that God says, I love you. I love you. Man, people who live with this kind of love, they change their behavior to match what God loves because they know that God wants them to follow commands for their own good, that we follow the commands of God so that we can be after and run after the heart of God. Man, people that know this kind of love, they just walk with a, a different level of confidence. Man, they, have this, they, they, they know that they don't have to prove anything to anybody. They're not competing with their neighbor or with their brother or with their parents or with their friends or with their teammate. Man, they are loved completely and fully by God. Listen, people who, yeah. There is no limit to what a loved person can do. Like there is no limit to what a loved person can do. You'll be willing to take risks that you would not otherwise take. Man, you'll be willing to step out. You'll be willing to say no. You'll be willing to expect some ridicule or some complaining or someone to criticize you because you know what? All that matters is what God thinks of you. There is no limit to what a loved person can do. Let's pray together.